0: The subject for the evening talk is Awareness and Meditation. In the talk yesterday uh, evening, um, Jose referred uh, briefly to the important heart of the teachings which focus and center around the Four Noble Truths. That is, there is suffering in life. There are conditions and causes for this suffering to arise. There is the cessation, the realization of the cessation uh, of this suffering and unsatisfactoriness. And there are the skillful and appropriate ways and means to realize the the end of suffering, and to understand the nature of things. And this fourth of the Four Noble truths is generally conceived of as the path, or as the way. And what the path and the way asks of uh, each and every person is to look very honestly and openly and directly at one's life and to explore and examine each and every feature of one's life so that in fact no stone is left unturned. And so in the rather wise and skillful uh, way of the path what in fact was formulated were eight distinctive features of a human existence and that a caring and aware and thoughtful human being will say to himself or to hel- herself, to ourselves. Each one of these is worthy and deserves my attention. Each one of these is worthy of, of looking into, because my life and the sense and knowledge of who I am and what I am in fact relates to one or more of uh, each of these factors or links which has been referred to traditionally as the Eightfold Path and they embrace right which means skillful, appropriate uh, understanding, um, attitude, speech, action, effort, livelihood, mindfulness, samadhi, meditation so each one of these as I mentioned needs for us to be knowledgeable, to about, to look into, and to see, well, in the way that I am living my existence, in the activities that I am in, engaged in, what kind of care and attention and quality do I give to any one of these links? And sometimes, in that exploration, in that reflection upon our life and the way that we are, living, we may see that one or more needs attending to, needs looking at with more care instead of being neglected or overlooked. And what that does in a very valuable and insightful way, it contributes to what we might describe and call the development or the evolution and the genuine wholesomeness of a human being. But it does also more than that. It, In the exploration of each and every one of those factors, it contributes too to a conscious and aware life. And for some, it might mean quite significant changes in one's life. In coming into time and place such as this, into our, looking into our existence. (coughs) Anyway, there's a far more which is going on than meets the eye. And there is the outer appearance, the outer expression of what is taking place here. And to some degree, our conscious mind is able, our mindfulness mind or our awareness, is able to pick up, I think, perhaps a little bit of the totality of what is taking place. So in our experiences at the outer level of things, one would say in a very simple way of describing, I come, I meditate, I sit and I walk, I bring as much mindfulness, one of the factors of that uh, path of conscious existence, I bring as much mindfulness to the situation as possible and therefore the construction of my day, the expression of my day, is a kind of sit and watch, walk and watch, and see what happens, see what unfolds. And in a very rather simplistic uh, way, we might say of what's taking place here that that essentially is what's happening. But I think it's only a little bit, a tiny uh, fragment of a much larger situation that's occurring in our own uh, existence. Sometimes in the process of a situation like this, both here and uh, elsewhere, we say to ourselves with some degree of conviction, oh, I have decided. To come on retreat I have decided to spend uh, X number of days here and while I am here I will probably have certain decisions which I will have to make with regard to the future and these kind of thoughts and ideas often circulating around the concept and idea of decisions are a frequent feature of uh, person's life and sometimes standing out incredibly noticeably during the course and the rhythm of the day. And a little bit of our imagination uh, gets into things, particularly when we think we are in the process of being here in terms of making decisions about the future. And there's a certain assumption and sometimes conceit if not arrogance, uh, with ourselves. That firstly, we know who we are in the first place, to actually think we can make a decision. Secondly, we have the conceit that others will be conspiring, as well as the environment, to help us make that decision. And finally, we think that once we have made that decision, things will be better than before the decision was made. (laughs) There doesn't seem to be much evidence for any of those three. (laughs) And so sometimes one looks at the preoccupation in life with decisions and that close affinity which goes with it, which has been a buzzword in our culture for quite some years of, of choice. And one tends to imagine in life that decisions are, and choices are something which we really have, we really can make, and that somehow the decision or choice will improve things in some way subsequent to it. And there is a definite notion in our mind, and a, a quite a strong belief around the idea of choice, of a before and after going from worse to better. And this feeds into the notion of choice and feeds into the idea that we have that in change it somehow means improvement. Otherwise, why would one want to make a change? So this question of having to make and being involved in the making of choices gains quite some degree of substance for us. And we, th- and we think, if I don't make any choi- choices, if I don't make these major or minor decisions in my life, then I'm just being determined by events. I'm just being swept along, or I'm going to end up with that dreadful uh, New Age ideology of going with the flow. And so sometimes there is a fear or anxiety either in one of making a decision, making choices and believing in them, or the other which is I'll just be swept along by the force of my karma, by the conditioning which um, influences me, and I'll just be pushed and pulled that way. And I just wonder sometimes in when we do stop and we do address our existence, which way or which extreme, we might say, do we notice, uh, notice with ourselves uh, leaning, pushed and pulled by circumstances, going with the flow, the kind of positive expression, or um, I have choices, I have decisions and I must make them. In a relationship to awareness and meditation, and awareness and the uh, path, one might say that a feature of the teachings is, of course, to nourish and to cultivate and to encourage and endorse peoples who wish an exploration of the spiritual life. That a person, so to speak, using the metaphor of the path, steps on the path and walks the path of the spiritual life. And I'm sure you would agree how dramatically, dramatically, a different world it would be if people said, let me look at my livelihood, let me look at what I'm making an effort about, let me look at the my quality of my awareness and mindfulness in life, let me look at the ways that I communicate and what I speak about, let me look at my understanding of things. Let me look at my activities and the uh, responsibilities and duties that if a human being, individually and collectively, if we examine these, we would say, What an extraordinary different world it would be to live in. So there's an encouragement to get on the path, and a number of you here, and as well as elsewhere, both in the short and in the long term, have a very strong and dedicated commitment to being on the spiritual path. But what can happen and does happen uh, in and in relationship and with regard to these teachings, that though the teachings endorse and say again and again to explore the path and to be on the spiritual path, but the teachings also insist and remind us to get off it the teachings are not just concerned with the three noble truths. That the path is there to end it. It's not there for self-continuity. It's not there for self-perpetuation. It's there for a purpose. And the essential purpose of getting on the path is getting off it as quickly as possible. (laughs) And sometimes there is a fear or worry or anxiety that getting off the path will be somehow backsliding all the way downhill into some hellish way of e- existence or to um, the old banal life that one had known once before so being on the spiritual path and the challenge and the exploration of it is not not to be conceived of as the end in itself. It's only spoken of as a resource and a temporary resource for the realization of that which is the end of the path. Therefore, the teachings are concerned with the four noble truths and the third being the end of the path. And then one might say, in the in the realization and discovery of the end of the path what is that way that person's way of being in the world and the person's way of being in the world is distinctly similar of course it has to be to a person who's walking the path in which there are the cares and concerns for awarenesses in life for wisdom in life for kindness and gratitude in life for treating others as one wishes to be treated in life for uh, a way in which uh, egotism is not the centre of life stage it's a peripheral event so when we speak of realisation or the cessation of the path the way that it manifests itself is in the expression of the path and thus it's called the noble path it's a path of nobility, the path of a noble life, of a a noble existence. So one can't distinguish easily between one who is walking in a path and fully committed from one who knows the end of the path, its manifestation is remarkably similar. But one must know, is one on the path, or has one seen, knows the end of this path. In awarenesses, in mindfulness, in meditation, we have, and this is what we exercise here in a way, and express as well and hopefully as effectively as we can, a relationship with life and a relationship with life which says, in a way, since I am here, since I am living and breathing on this earth, for whatever the duration of time that it is, since I have no idea how I found myself to be in this situation, since I have no idea what the circumstances, what the forces were that brought me into birth, since I have no idea what, after death, if there is anything, after death, yet here I am living in this world since that's what's happened to me, to us, for better or worse. Let me look at it. What on earth would one want to find oneself in a situation like this, which we call being human, being alive, and to live in such a way that we take it for granted. So all the reminders of the teachings of the path are such, they say, don't take any of this for granted. Thus, bring all of the attention to what is taking place. Because it's existence itself, and what is this thing of, of living on this earth? How is it that this is happening? What, 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 brought, what brought it about? What is this an extraordinary thing in this incredible universe that there are sentient creatures who are in this situation, human life, which can be aware of itself, know itself, feel itself, know others, sense others. Extraordinary situation that can bring about change, that can realize things that can discover, that life can know itself. And once we have a little feeling for that, a little sensitivity to that, then what we call meditation then begins to have some relevance. It's simply the provision of a situation to let me feel this life through as long as the heart beats and the pulses take place and the blood runs through the the veins and all that goes on, let me address it as fully as I can, because I can be conscious. I have that faculty for it. I don't know why, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what it was, but nevertheless it's there and I can feel and sense it. Therefore, let me be with what is In that, we we speak of awareness and meditation. Our meditations, our awarenesses, for the most part, though there has been some expansion, of course, during the days, in a way, only reminds us to take a second and third look at that which we have been looking at, and that's all we, in fact, we can look at every day of our life. One can't introduce something new into meditation. That all that actually can be said to you and to uh, myself in the instructions or whatever, is to look at that which one has looked at countless numbers of times in the duration of one's existence. One's noticed countless numbers of times in one's existence, oneself breathing, sometimes uh, notice it when one is uh, running and it's heavy breathing, one notices it when one's sad and, uh, and it's labored breathing, one notices it when one feels light or joyful or whatever. Countless times in one's life, every day, many hours of the day, one has noticed the posture that one is in, the sensations that are emerging out of bodily life, there's nothing new. Countless numbers of times one has noticed the thoughts which are running through one's mind, the kind of mood that one is, the kind of feelings and emotions that are coming. Countless numbers of times we have heard, of course, the sounds of the day, the sights. We have noticed ourselves walking and sitting and eating, etc. So, in a way, nothing actually new is being offered or suggested Or said. Yet we're speaking of awareness, we're speaking of meditation, and we're saying this, which is so familiar to us and so much our everyday, perhaps has never really been given the attention it deserves. It never really, we've never really allowed ourselves and given ourselves. the fullness opportunity to really give existence the real attention that it's it's right because we are here and we can't fathom out how we found ourselves here. And perhaps we might discover something if for once in our life we say, What I see, let me see. What I hear, let me hear. What I breathe, let me breathe. What I experience with body, let me experience. What I experience with mind and feelings and thoughts and states of mind. Let me really know what this is. Not go along with a lot of half-baked ideas about the way things are, half-baked opinions, and just be chucking them out to ourselves and other people, as though we knew what we were talking about. Let's not deceive ourselves that that language can really come to terms with what is. So then, meditation and the awarenesses of meditation and all that goes with that as we have been speaking about and exploring in our days together, I think has the potential, the possibility therefore, a kind of receptivity which says perhaps the way that I have been experiencing and giving attention to, perhaps somehow I don't see clearly enough because I don't give a, enough care to what I see. And if I just take these very ordinary ordinary experiences of life and really give ter- care and attention to them and really connect with them perhaps somehow which I don't in a way which I can't explain that if I do this real fullness of awareness of meditation somehow or other, in some beneficial way, it will make a difference to my life. I don't know what the difference is, I'm just going on what perhaps other people or teachers or teachings have uh, implied or asserted for thousands of years. But if I really give presence to what is happening, perhaps something may happen which helps me to see things in a way which I didn't, Think humanly possible. That doesn't seem to fit with my references, my um, imagination, my ideas, yet somehow intrinsically feels beneficial. There is something about the simplicity of coming into a situation in material terms and arriving here, travelling very, very lightly. And in travelling very, very lightly, one has engaged in this period of time here with one of the prerequisites for a deep spiritual life, and that is the act of renunciation. And your willingness to come here and put aside much which has been acquired and accumulated, in itself is a significant preparation for a realisation, not only of the significance of the path in both human and global terms, but also for the end of the path which I'm speaking about. And one may notice, perhaps with oneself in the time that one has been here, how little real interest one has had since being here, in all the um, preoccupations and accumulations which sometimes overwhelm and overburden one's life. And that one can spend a remarkable degree of time throughout the course of the day without having to fret over all the things that I want to see, hear, smell, taste, touch and have. That one can participate in that atmosphere of renunciation and of course there may be some fantasies which arise, I would like to see this, I would like to hear this, I would like to smell this, taste this or whatever but for many and for the most part possibility and hopefully probability is that there's very little actual interest in all of that which we have made to matter. And one begins to get a sense and a feeling that a life of simplicity and a life of doing without, a life of renunciation, which we hear of, which we are uh, hopefully inspired by those who live that in a very tangible uh, form, such as monks and nuns, that in fact it doesn't have to be so far away from us because we're actually experiencing it in the context of this situation, of the significance of doing without. So each moment of being with the breathing, each moment of awareness of the meditation process is not only for the significance of the event itself, It's also for the significance of what's not present through the act of being with the most ordinary called breathing, called bodily life, called walking on the earth. It reveals the act of renunciation. It shows the human capacity to, to know that which is not having. Not only not having, not having and, as beautifully, not missing, not missing. So this not having and not missing, in the way of awareness and meditation, I regard as an important feature of the whole experience of here, so that we let that sense and that gratitude, in fact, and appreciation of not having and not missing, really run well and deep inside our being because that experience has long-term consequences not only for you but the whole of this earth. Can I love this sense and be grateful for this sense of not having and not being and not wanting and not running after and not pursuing and not needing? And so sometimes in the flow and the course of of the meditation. Sometimes it just strikes us. My goodness, I'm just sit- sitting here, I don't have all the usual peripherals around me, and I'm feeling okay, I'm feeling content, and yet there's nothing around me which I am involved in. And say, so could this be some whisper of something profound and deep in life? Could this Simple act of just sitting and breathing and not having actually be telling us something which we need to know so well we cannot forget. So well we cannot forget it any more than we can forget that the hand is on the end of our arm. Sometimes in the awareness and the meditation, quite um, understandably, that, and perhaps because in some way or other it feels closest to awareness, one of the high priorities which tends to be given is of course to our kind of interior climate, to our personal psychology, to our uh, state of mind. And sometimes we, we, it's as though we look at the body we, and sometimes we feel like the body is a kind of uh, solidity, a kind of uh, more gross or outer uh, feature of ourselves. Sometimes with our eyes we look at the body or down on the body and then we s- seem sometimes we get a bit more refined as it were a little bit more interior so to speak and then we say there is my uh, inner life my interior life my personality the idea of of who i am and with all of that both uh, with body and certainly with the interior feelings emotions states of mind the personality structure We look at all that, we become aware of that. We can talk well or adequately about what we are experiencing. And all that personality uh, unfoldment is such that because it seems so close, it seems to be the most pressing priority that we often think and imagine that when we come into uh, these kind of settings and other similar ones, the main thing that we are really doing is the wish to put our, um, to free ourselves from addictions and obsessions, to uh, end any fears and confusions, to discover and find more uh, happiness, to gain greater depths of um, meditation, and the whole... Mm general mood of things, so to speak, seems to often involve around the state of mind. That, that what's happening in terms of around us, in terms of our physical, really, it matters, it matters in so much as it affects me. So when I think of meditation, whoever the I is, when I think of awareness and meditation, that what I use as a criteria easily, if not naturally enough, is what is my state of mind? This becomes the central area. It's what people will talk about most, or body and the relationship of the state of mind to the body. It's what the major reference is. It's the way that we describe and talk from a standpoint of experience. And all of that, Usefully, not ultimately, but just conveniently, seems very important. We don't want to hear metaphysics. We don't want to hear abstract ideas or whatever. We want to hear what's happening with our experience, what's going on inside our personality, so to speak. When that is uh, happening in that, then we will, in our relationship to that, both in terms of spiritual practice, the cultivation and development of the path, will be perceived and thought of in relationship to how my feelings and thoughts and moods are in relationship to that. We want to feel that we are less greedy and less aggressive, less fearful, less uh, selfish, that we are more uh, open. All of those experiences are a way to help try to confirm something about the value of what we are doing. Our feelings, our moods, our thoughts provide the measurement. I'm not so sure whether awareness and mindfulness, consciousness, whatever we call it, can really know uh, that much about what is going on within. I'm not sure, to re- re- repeat myself, I am not sure whether consciousness, or awareness, or meditating upon, however we describe, can really know that much about what is going on within. I think it is so fraught with limitations that when we, what we are aware of within is just some features of some event in a particular moment, I don't think awareness and consciousness can have access to the totality of one's personality. I don't think it's possible that we can know all the nuances, the conditions, the causes or whatever of why something happens when it does. I do think we go up an alleyway when we start questions with why because then We are in the conceit of thinking, if I can find the cause, then I'll know why this has happened to me. And even when one comes up with some why and some answer to why this is happening to me, it doesn't mean to say that the answer that one provides makes any difference to what is actually happening to me. And so the whole sense of the personality structure the expression of it in the present, the wish within it, remember, within it to have solutions and causes and explanations and with with all that's going on, seems that we're just moving back and forth with this interior climate. And so sometimes we've wondered, why is it, all the observation of myself, all the ways which are available for me to observe uh, myself, and all the skills and resources which are available within myself and outside of myself, personality life seems to go along in its own sweet or unsweet way. And in all of that, I'm still making that the center of the life stage. And they still imagine, more importantly, still imagine that somehow I can get it right. Or others can get it right for me. Or that between the two of us we will get it right. (laughs) And I look around, and I say to myself, but nobody else seems to have done it. Nobody seems to have got it right for somebody else, for their personality or whatever. He or she or they don't seem to have got it right for themselves. Those who have been working together don't seem to have got it right. And that despite all of that, in the working on the personality and all that goes with it, it seems like the choice and the decision-making hasn't, and all the techniques and methods, hasn't actually done it. And some come to this hard truth of life after many years of sustaining the same contact, are the same approach, are the same method, or whatever. And somehow it's as though we have restricted and defined, despite all of our language of openness and expansiveness and acceptance and all, all of that, that we have actually confined and defined the what is by... The state of the personality in the moment. This, called personality, this my interior climate or whatever, and the way that this affects me. And as it were, we look out through the world through the way this affects me. And we talk about it, and we describe, and we go into all of that. Does it have to be this way? Do we just have to dwell in a way in which the reference point is constantly of the the mind? Less greedy, less aggressive, less selfish, less blind, less ignorant, less this, less that. We have to keep focusing, in, as it were, and having that, and then referring to things through the mind. What if we don't? What if we say to ourselves, no matter what we do with our life, or what we do with other lives, for that matter, what if we say to ourselves, I'm not going to use the mind as any kind of reference. I'm not going to take the personality and the mood and the feeling and the intimations and the thoughts and the descriptions and the whole package that goes with it called the interior climate. I'm not going to take that as any kind of reference for anything. Not as a reference for myself, simply it's just one of the objects manifesting in this world called personality, not as a reference for anybody else. I'm not going to look through that prism. Then what? So in our exploration, and now looking, (coughs) including each of the valuable and useful factors of the Eightfold Path, the value and usefulness is vitally concerned with the condition of mind. What else could it be concerned with? How one is feeling, how one is experiencing. Where in our life is the uh, sensitivities the the care the concern the reverence the respect the the heartfulness the gratitude the compassion and we and we say and nourish and develop and cultivate and, and explore ways to bring these out and the understandings which comes with bringing all of this out that this is an in- intelligent life this is an intelligent person an intelligent heart an intelligent mind, and as commendable, and as beautiful as it is to witness that in any uh, human being. Yet, in all of that, all of its reference, all of its application, all of its expression, if it has any validity, the only way it can have validity is coming through heart and mind. That only has validity in heart and mind, the path. It's related exclusively and fully and totally to that. But what if heart and mind is not the centre of the life stage? What if there's a a way of realising which hasn't got that as the focus? Yet no suppression, no denial, no retreating, no detaching, no avoiding, no uh, uh, confusion um, in that way. Certainly no fear nor anxiety of uh, mind and its mood and its movement and its, and its state in the, in the presence of things. But not the reference. Of that, what would one say? What would one say of this being, of this presence of things? What would happen to notions of problems arising and passing, what would happen to the notion of things mattering, coming and going, what would happen to the idea of change, of birth and death, if this which is called mind, minding, this which is called personality, which, this which is called interior climate, is not the reference and somehow, wouldn't it be that, that all of that would kind of fall rather easily and rather effortlessly into the, into the nature of things? And one wouldn't even be thinking, I am living my life. Then I say the cessation of suffering. Then I say freedom in life. Then I say the significance of the third noble truth. Then I say the end of the path becomes abundantly clear. Because personality, interior life is not the centre of the stage. It doesn't belong to us, it comes out of the nature, it belongs to the nature, it's reflecting, manifesting the nature. It's not our problem. And I say these things which I uh, speak about, is uh, simple, it's uh, immediate, it's accessible and available in a very obvious way. And the moments of meditation, the moments of awarenesses and the process of things can, has for any purpose just to make things so all that goes on belongs to the nature all that goes on is held in the nature of things and if we're not so preoccupied with choice and decision who chose to be born man or woman who chose to be born this shape in this size who chose to be in this particular place who would choose this who would decide that so if we just as it were, allow ourselves to run quiet. And the idea of choices and decisions and thinking that that's going to make a major difference in one way or the other. And just to be silent, and just to be still, not to be concerned with changing from this to this, and look carefully uh, at what is, I say, the realization of the end of the path, One is actually knocking on the door of this realisation and one isn't fudging it with choices and decisions. So let the silence do it all for us and the stillness of things do it all for us. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings live in peace and harmony.